It's showtime, folks! Hola, this is Shelly Martinez. This is former WWE superstar Luke Gallows. Here's your boy Shaq Gaffwadi. This is the World Warrior Low Key. This is Charlie Sultan of Ring of Honor. This is Christopher Daniels. And the gospel according to the Fallen Angels says that you are listening to the SNS Radio Network. Hey, yo, say hello to the bad guy, Scott Hall. Big Daddy Cool Diesel slash Kevin Nash on the SNS Radio Network. Hey, what's up? It's the ODB One Dirty Bit Boom! Hi, this is Booker T, the five-time WCW champion, and you're listening to SNS Radio Network. Hi, gang. This is Mean Gene Okerlund from the WWE. Hey, this is Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle from TNA. And you're listening on the SNS Radio Network. Oh, it's real. It's damn real. The world is listening. You know, <laughs> David Crockett, a close friend of mine told me a few hours ago that when you're the world champion, you just don't talk the talk, you walk the walk. Yeah. So you see now, Steamboat, you, my friend, have walked into what the rest of the sports world calls no man's land. You have stepped on Ric Flair's toes. That's a no-no. So, baby, let me assure you, you, David Crockett, and all these morons that think Steve's got something going for him, that, baby, woo, we've only just begun. <laughs> Keep your eye on the nature boy. The world heavyweight champion, Ric Flair. <laughs> this is the main event. What you gonna do? Call this the new world order of wrestling. Because Stone Cold said so. Oh my God! What I'd like to have right now. Rest in peace. What a rush. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Yeah, I come here to fight. Standing innovation here. Let's go to our ring announcers. Welcome, fans, to Beyond the Bell. Ring announcer Sean Beckerman here with you on the SNS Radio Network. Your home for classic and nostalgia wrestling. It's the reason we watch. It's the way money is generated. Some feuds were so great that WWE and WCW were printing their own money because of it. Some were so great it created and revolutionized an era. Some were booked so well that it made us believe it was real. Throughout the past several years, the the WWE has had some of the greatest feuds of all time. And we're going to start a brand new series here at Beyond the Bell entitled Epic Encounters. Where we'll, not narrow, but we'll look back at the greatest feuds in professional wrestling history. The criteria for a memorable memorable feud or an epic encounter, like we're going to call it, includes the marketability of the matches, as well as the way in which we 
we watched and it elevated the superstars' careers. I believe that in order to put these feuds into a ranking of monumental or famous or all-time greats, we must carefully look at the quality of work in their matches. Promos and storyline developments are also crucial in becoming an epic encounter. Much like any recipe, it requires a few different things in order for a feud to work out. For starters, it takes the right selection of wrestlers. In order for a feud to work out, they have to be compatible in some sort of way. You wouldn't just want to take a wrestler like the Great Kali and match him up with someone like, let's say, Yoshitatsu and expect the feud to happen. An ideal pair should have roughly the same skill set and ideals. Right off the top of my head, you take a look at the feud between Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho that happened recently, or in relative in time recently over the past couple of years. We'll talk about that one down the line in Epic Encounters. The two of them not only worked well in the ring, but they also were roughly the same build, and both knew how to work and work the crowd. It's that kind of pairing that is the perfect setup for a feud. After the part, after that part, you could say is complete. You want to start the feud off right. It doesn't take much to get a good battle going. Think of it this way: if you took a piece of meat and just threw it in the oven, it would cook. But how tasty would it be without the right ingredients and seasonings? In order for a feud to be a success, you have to baby it, nurture it. A little argument here and there, throw in an accidental punch during a tag team match, things of that nature are, in general, a good starting point for a feud. Once you have the feud going, you're going to want to cook it nice and slowly. If you're going to give away the ending in a month, or a month or so, you'll leave the fans unfulfilled, and they won't care. They won't feel invested. Like a good soup, you want to let it simmer for a while. You want to give the fans a whiff of what's in store for them, but always leave them wanting more. You pull back just a bit. This will not only keep the fans watching, but it also will have them ready to empty their pockets come pay-per-view time. The last and probably the most important part of, a, of the feud is the climax. You don't want to end like a lot of movies where you, they leave the crowd disappointed You want the audience to be in suspense every step of the way. If you end the feud in a quick 15-minute match, it'll leave a bitter taste in their mouths and be meaningless. You want to give the crowd a decent 20-30 minute match with lots of near falls taking you on that ride. The audience should have the feeling of uncertainty on who will win the match. You don't know how this feud's going to end. Also, after the match, there should be no question on whether whether the feud is over, and that's an issue to in today's feuds. They continue on when they shouldn't. You should have one winner, one loser. Either way, it should be done so that both parties involved look good in the end, regardless who won. That is the recipe for a great wrestling feud. Since there are so many legendary feuds in in the history of this great industry, too many to feature in just one episode, it would be a dishonor not to give these feuds the credit they deserve. 
they deserve a platform to rekindle and reflect on what truly made a particular feud truly legendary. Tonight marks the debut of the Beyond the Bell Greatest Feud series entitled Epic Encounters. Each edition will feature a star-studded lineup of some of the greatest rivalries in the history of pro wrestling and sports entertainment. Tonight we kick it off with a spectacular card for you fans. The first installment of the Epic Encounter series is going to blast off with a tremendous card for you here tonight with three of, you could say, some of the all-time greatest feuds ever in the history of this business. Tonight, we'll take a look back at the ECW rivalry featuring Raven versus Tommy Dreamer. We'll go to the NWA-WCW era and take a look at Nature Boy Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And in the main event, the World Wrestling Federation era featuring Macho Man Randy Savage versus the Immortal Hulk Hogan. What a card. Beyond the Bell fans, this is going to be tremendous. Buckle up, because it's go time. For two and a half years... Tommy Dreamer, we fought an epic battle of mythic proportions. We had a friendship based on love and a hatred based on friendship. Dreamer knows what's coming and he can't stop it. You scarred my face. You battered me unmercifully. And you took my girl. Exercise your demons. 
It was time for you to graduate. So I gave you your victory. Stayed away from ECW. And with me gone, your life lost its meaning. Your career lost its purpose. And your relationship with Beulah lost its foundation. You've lost your focus, Tommy. <laughs> You've lost the girl. Kaiser Soze said, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Well, Tommy, I exist, and I'm going to be your own personal demon, because this Savior has already been crucified for your sins. Quote the raven. One of the greatest feuds from the last two decades began locally in the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. Extreme Championship Wrestling was in the early stages of a revolution in 1995 that arguably changed the industry forever. The days of boring matches, intelligent, insulting storylines, and characters you couldn't relate were over. ECW would bring their fans closer to their heroes and villains than any other company in the history of the business. In walks Scott Levy. Levy just out of the WWF under the name Johnny Polo where he went from an in-ring talent to an outside-of-the-ring employee. Tape collectors who followed Scott Levy from his early days in Portland to trips through Memphis, Global, and WCW were aware of his talents, knew how skilled he were. At this stage in the game, it was a truly uh, a mistake or it was, a, excuse me, a truly make or break career move for Levy to go from the WWF to ECW under a completely different gimmick. Tommy Dreamer entered ECW as a muscle-headed jock with overalls. A pretty boy smile, his in-ring talents were never questioned. However, the character became the antithesis of everything ECW fans hated about professional wrestling. Tommy would morph his character from the smile to grunt as he became angry, took off the overalls, donned black pants and a black t-shirt, came back for beating after beating, and completely reinvented himself to something the fans could identify with. The feud started when Stevie Richards began wearing some of Scott Levy's old ring jackets to the ring. Richards and Dreamer had some altercations, and Levy would emerge as Raven. Raven wore t-shirts, ripped jeans, and was anything but the Scotty Flamingo character Levy portrayed in WCW. 
Raven was dark, evil, manipulating, a cross between Jim Jones, Jim Morrison, and the scary kid who walked into the school, the school halls with little to no friends, the weirdo, the outcast. The backstory to their rivalry was that the two were friends from summer camp. As kids, Dreamer got all the girls and added all the friends while Raven was the loner. The two became rivals then, and this would continue into ECW. Raven hated Dreamer, and Dreamer learned to hate Raven. Tommy Dreamer versus Raven turned into the longest-running feud in ECW history, starting in 1995 and continued through 2000 when the two became a hostile team. Not enough credit is given to Dreamer. Levy and Booker Paul Heyman for sustaining fan interest over such a long period of time. On paper, the storyline looks rather ridiculous, but the emotion, the intensity, the hate, the drama, the twists and turns in the story, and the tremendous abilities of Levy and Dreamer made it work. The golden years of the feud were from 1995 to 1997 specifically. During this t- this time period, Dreamer and Raven had wrestled each other at least once about once a weekend in every kind of match possible, Raven would include his crew of followers, which included Beulah McGillicuddy, Mick Foley, the BWO, and others. In a business today where wins and losses are forgotten by the week, Dreamer was never able to beat Raven. I'll repeat that. Tommy Dreamer was never able to pin Raven. During that time period, the frustration and angst that Dreamer would carry him into the ring against Raven made for wrestling heaven for the ECW fans. The kind of scars that can leave on a man. Deep, emotional, personal scars. There's a dark side to Tommy that very few people have ever seen. But you've tapped into it must be so exhilarating to be the hunted. I haven't felt this way in a long, long time. Congratulations, baby. You made your bed. Now you can lay in the wet spot. Their matches were the last of a dying breed of old school brawls. The two would brawl all over the arena. They'd come back into the ring, wrestle, brawl all all over ringside, use chairs, ladders, tables, bleed buckets, and leave the fans standing on their feet yelling ECW in unison. In 1997, ECW took the company to a whole new level by entering the world of pay-per-view. WCW started to take them seriously and then raided the ECW talent by signing then-champion Raven. Raven and Dreamer, who was once billed as their final encounter at Wrestlepalooza in an old-school loser-leaves-town match. This presented an interesting scenario to everyone involved in this point in time. The ECW fans read the internet, read the newsletters. They were the smart marks, you can say, and were already aware of Raven signing with WCW. The news would obviously telegraph the result of the match. Behind the scenes, up until the match... Raven had politicked hard to win the match, completely throwing off logic in the fans. Would would Paul Heyman go to the traditional route and do what was right for business, or leave the fans stunned and shocked? 
to learn to love Beulah. I'm gonna be there for my kid. Not like you, Raven. Not like you abandoned me. Wanna play a game of one-upmanship? Well, I'm up one. two had one of the greatest ECW matches of all time. The fans went nuts from start to finish. Unlike in the past where fans would would be split down the middle, this was bigger than Raven versus Dreamer. This was now WCW versus ECW. And there was nothing more the ECW fans hated than WCW. The match itself went more was even more of a roller coaster than the previous wars. Dreamer and Raven and everyone involved wrestled this match as if they were in the main event of WrestleMania. The match featured tons of interference, foreign objects, twists and turns. Every time the fans expected the match to end, someone would kick out of and the war would continue. This wasn't about a championship. It was about life to these two men. Tommy Dreamer eventually won the match. The war was over. Raven was leaving for WCW. Dreamer theoretically represented ECW by killing off the WCW enemy. And the book on this feud was complete. Or so the fans had thought. Just like great feuds of the past, including Dundee Lawler, which we'll talk about, Freebirds, Von Erichs, which we'll absolutely go over. Tonight we'll discuss Flarence Steamboat. The feud would see new life several years later. Just like those great feuds of the past, the feud would never come close to reaching earlier proportions the second time around. Raven would return to ECW three years later from WCW. A new twist of the feud saw Raven and Dreamer strike a small truce, a truce, I might, a truce, I can't believe it, and win the ECW World Tag Team Championships. The constant tension between the two provided for some great teases that never seemed to get off the ground. Some things are better left untouched, you can say. A father gives up a lifetime of chasing women, of fast cars, of unwarranted hedonism in order to bring a child onto this earth. A mother spends nine months with a baby in her womb, a fetus, giving up cigarettes, alcohol, giving it all her attention just to bring this child onto the earth. And then for 18 years, 18 long years, they spend raising this child, catering to every whim, giving it every single thing at once, whether it be nursing, schooling, educational help, it doesn't matter. Suffering at every turn and gladly 
because they'll do anything to make sure this child is raised properly and correctly. <laughs> and isn't it kind of funny that yet they turn to me for their salvation, for absolution, for benediction. You see, the torturous parenting that you gave them, the childlike lessons that you tried to instill meant nothing. Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Shannon Hoon, even Kurt Cobain couldn't deliver these children from the torment, from the pain, the anguish, the suffering that they've spent an entire lifetime coming to grips with. You see, the mind that controls the children is the mind that rules the future. <laughs> and I am their salvation! You could search around YouTube. You're bound to find dozens of clips of Raven Dreamer. To old school fans... If you are old school fans, you're listening to BTV. They're ECW biased. Probably won't allow them to recognize this feud for the greatness that it once was. For someone like me, who as a ring announcer, and at the time being a fan of ECW, had the pleasure to see this series. I was able to go to Philadelphia and be there to watch it. And then be able to announce Raven and then Tommy Dreamer independently as a ring announcer, brings chills to your spine. It was one of the greatest feuds of all time. Old school, simple story logic, and it got the fans into it. Tommy Dreamer versus Raven. One of the all-time greatest rivalries in professional wrestling and sports entertainment. Come on, macho man. You can always get out of the ring, but the rock is extreme because there's nowhere to go. Nowhere to go? Not the cage! Oh, yeah! Landslide! Falling rock! Yeah! Meet the Lord's face! What do you do for beefy, spicy, extreme excitement? Say it! Say it! Slam it to a Slim Jim! Let me tell you something. Nobody knows more about being cool than the hitman. And let me tell you something. It is not cool to smoke. Be a survivor and don't smoke. On these hot summer nights, when I'm done cutting and I'm all through strutting, I like to enjoy superstars, ice cream bars. Let's check it out. Introducing the newest WWF wrestling buddy, Big Boss Man and Jake the Snake Roberts. Clunk him, clunk him. Wrestling buddies want to be your buddy. Buddy, what's going on? Nothing, uh, officer. Body slam! <laughs> hey, who's the wise guy? Big Boss Man! Murphy. What's going uh, on? Nothing, Sarge. <laughs> Big Boss Man and Jake the Snake Roberts, the newest WWF wrestling buddies from Tonga. He's sold separately. The 1980s featured some of the greatest feuds in professional wrestling history. Bob Backlund versus, versus Sergeant Slaughter. Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Piper. Dusty Rhodes versus the Four Horsemen. The Rock and Roll Express versus Midnight Express. Yet one has transcended the test of time. Chances are, if you're a wrestling fan of the last 30 to 40 years, you've seen 
Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat tangle inside of a squared circle. As Ric Flair and Rick Steamboat, and Rick, first of all, I want to welcome you back and congratulations on your fine tournament win in Japan, and welcome back to Mid Atlantic Wrestling. Well, thank you very much, Amy, before he gets going, because he's a very modest young man, as the whole wrestling world knows. He was in the biggest wrestling tournament ever held in the history of Japan, and Rick Steamboat walked away with all the marbles, all the money, and all the gold, and he's considered right now probably the biggest star to wrestle out of the United States in Japan. Hey, what about uh, that, Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Rick. Uh, it was a very, very hard tournament. Those uh, Japanese wrestlers over in that area, and there was a few Americans over there also, are very, very tough. They, they're in superb conditioning. I, I'd like to say uh, happy holidays to all the people in the Mid-Atlantic area, to all the wrestling fans, and to the people that are not able to make or right. attend our arenas that are watching here on TV. I'd like to say happy holidays and wish everybody the best uh, year of 1981 that anybody could possibly have. I'd like to wish my congratulations to this man over here. When I left, he had the U.S. belt. When I came back from the that? tournament, he still got the U.S. belt, and it gives me the greatest pleasure to stand up here with this man right now. I'd like to say this, Valentine, you old gray mare, you're going to have your hands full trying to get the gold back from this blonde stallion. Thank you. All Thank right. You, Rick. Hey, he just, he just laid it all out right there. Well, he's a right fine, here on, he's a fine right, man, and I have a lot of respect right for Right here Steamboat. on television, man. You who, and who? Who'd ever thought that Steamboat who? and I today would be friends that we are? I know. Me and Valentine, that's right. Right, you and right here on national television, he asked for it. He complained he wasn't getting any matches. So here we are right now for the whole world to see. And I'm going to go in that ring, Bob Cottle, knowing that Valentine will do anything to win this match. And I'm going to let the whole world know right now, I'll do anything to win it. Valentine, you want the big gold, you come to the big daddy. You want to be the man, you got to beat the man. And brother, I'm not going into 81 without the big gold around my waist. Too many things to do, too many places to go, and I'm not going to go or do or be without the big gold. Thank you, Bob. One of the most amazing things about Ric Flair and Rick Steamboat's feud is that it spanned three decades. Flair and Steamboat headlined shows in the Carolinas throughout the 1970s. Flair and Ricky Steamboat headlined pay-per-views in 1989. Flair and Steamboat wrestled a series of matches underneath some, some forgotten shows in 1994. Out of 30 years of matches, one stands out as... The Coupe de Gras of the series. Flair versus Steamboat from 1989 may be the greatest series of matches in professional wrestling history. 1988 was supposed to be the beginning of the end for two of pro wrestling's legends. Ric Flair was barely holding on to his title through the political maneuverings of WCW's booking committee. Ricky Steamboat one year removed from having arguably the greatest match in WrestleMania history was jobless. One could say that the only people that had confidence in either man was each other. Okay, Steamboat, showtime! Two weeks from tomorrow, pal! I can see it now! The Nature Boy gonna bring every good-looking woman from all points of the land the Stouffer's Hotel! In Nashville, Tennessee, going to be the site of the grandest victory party of all time. Because you see, on May 7th, Ric Flair, six times. Think about it. Six times, Steamboat. Yes, my friend, woo, you are the man. And yes, my friend, you did beat the man. But now, pal, the heat's on. Two weeks from tomorrow, buddy. 
You've got to walk that aisle. And in the back of your mind, pal, you know this time it's my last chance. And I won't be denied. Two weeks for the ball, Steamboat. You're going to be mine. Woo! Wrestling fans, you don't think that I know what I'm up against. A man like Ric Flair coming after this championship belt for the last chance in Nashville on May the 7th. You don't think that my back is up against the wall knowing that this man is probably going to finish his career if he doesn't get this championship belt back. The pressure is on me. I've got to prove myself once again. The competition is knocking down the doors. Everybody wants a chance at Ricky Steamboat. Everybody wants a chance and they think that they can beat the dragon. Ric Flair, all these heavy-duty competitors around the world that are after me have put my back up against the wall once again. This is why this is going to be your last chance. Chicago was a day for me. New Orleans was a day for me. But we're coming down to May 7th here in Nashville. Me, my family, you coming back for the last chance. There wasn't a few that, that spawned from an explosive angle like breaking a coconut over the head breaking a limb, or turning on your best friend. This was a feud built on one simple story. Pure competition. Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat were both excellent wrestlers in the prime of their careers, yet the question of who was better would catapult these two gladiators in pro wrestling history. It all started on Saturday night on WTBS. Barry Windham of the Four Horsemen had wrestled hot stuff Eddie Gilbert. For weeks, Windham and Flair had made life miserable for Gilbert. Through interference and sneak attacks, Gilbert had enough and challenged the two to a match on WTBS Saturday, Saturday night. Gilbert promised a mystery partner would help him even up the odds against foes once and for all. The small crowd of a couple hundred uh, of fans erupted into a thunderous ovation the following week, Ricky Steamboat arrived to a hero's welcome. Steamboat first gained fame in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, the predecessor to World Championship Wrestling. Steamboat picked right up where Flair left off in 1982 by pinning Rick in the tag team match on television. The rivalry had reignited a new book in professional wrestling and was about to be written written in stone. The dragon had returned to the NWA, screamed Jim Ross. The wrestling feud didn't need a whole lot of fancy angles. In Nashville, Tennessee, at the Music City Showdown, Wrestle Wars 89. And speaking of next Sunday afternoon, I'm joined once again by the heavyweight champion of the world. Well, Ric Flair was out here earlier in all his splendor with the beautiful ladies. He said he was going to be here wrestling next week. He's at the top of his game. He'll be here next week on the program to, I think, essentially strut his stuff. You know something, Jim Ross, that's something that a lot of wrestlers don't know about Ric Flair, and that's the way he can intimidate a person, a professional wrestler, to the point of actually shallowing back, cowering back, have second thoughts about a man like that. But when this is on the line and all the prestige is behind it, and actually what it boils down to, what kind of a man that you become and represent throughout the whole world, you can't let a man that can intimidate you through his mouth make you back up and take a back seat. 
I know that your rivalry and speak of the devil and up he comes. Here it here it comes again. Well, I I want you to I hope and I don't have to implore this to you too drastically to, to maintain your composure you always have. I know what happens when you guys get together here on the Superstation. Well, Jim Ross, if you've checked our track record, at any time that the two of us have gotten this close to each other, that something almost happened. What do you? Uh, I didn't hear anybody invite you back out. Actually. Oh, when your name's Rick Flair and you're traveling a company like this, you don't need an invitation, right, Jim Ross? If I were to knock on your door in Dallas and have this in my arms, you'd say, come on in, nature boy, the party's on. Well, here we are. And you know what? I've never been accused of being the master of intimidation. I'm Slick Rick. I'm Space Mountain. And I'm going to be the next world heavyweight champion. I want the whole world to know that I recognize you as the greatest single athlete that I have ever competed against. I want the world to know that. My body. He asked him, I brag about you to Christy every night. Bottom line. I say, Christy, there's only one man in the world like Ric Flair, and that is Rick Steamboat. But, pal, in Nashville, the bottom line is I've got to win the world title to survive in my kind of world. Woo! You know something, Rick? You've told the people here about your lifestyle. You've actually shown everybody out here your lifestyle. And to main that type of lifestyle, you have to be the champion to, to collect all that kind of money for you to continue on, for you to feed yourself. You've gotten up here and you also said that you're going to be out here next week on TV just to show everybody that you're ready and how sharp you are. Well, I'm going to be out here next week also to show everybody that I'm going to be ready for you to take you just one more time in Nashville. Both the champion and the challenger on this program next week. Jim Ross, Ric Flair going to be here live and in color looking, woo, as only he can look. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Dragon, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back. Michael Hayes and Steve Casey are coming up next. The biggest angle in this series took place on live television February 15th, 1989 at Clash of the Champions. Flair and Steamboat met face-to-face inside of the ring to sign the contract for their first official match. The signing ended with Steamboat ripping off Flair's clothes and leaving him in his underwear in the center of the ring on live television. The rest of this feud was about the matches. I remember watching this on the Ultimate Ric Flair DVD collection, and it, it just brought back such great memories of what made this feud so epic. Flair and Steamboat's first match in almost 10 years took place on February 20th, 1989 at the Chi-Town Rumble. I love that name. The match had the electricity in the, electricity in the air that I had never seen in an NWA-WCW match. Me being young at the time, I had goosebumps. The back and forth would come to an end after a series of ref bumps. Flair went for his patented figure four when Steamboat countered for the one, two, three. Steamboat pulled the upset and pinned Flair with a small package to win the NWA World Championship. 
The two would wrestle all over the country, stealing the show on a nightly basis. The second of the trilogy would take place in New Orleans, Louisiana, on a free Clash of the Champions special. The show was huge for WCW on a lot of levels. For one, this would be the biggest match that WCW had ever given away on live television since the first Clash main event. More importantly, WCW aired the show head-to-head with WrestleMania. Other than Flair and Steamboat, the show was a bomb at the gate. 5,300 people attended the show at the New Orleans Superdome. The show drew a 4.3 rating on TBS. Behind the scenes saw a match in itself between Flair, Steamboat, and the booking committee. Booker George Scott at the time was fired before the show, sending plans into disarray. Scott was replaced by a committee of bookers, which included Flair himself. The original plan for the match was that it would have been no decisive winner and it would basically end in a draw. Flair himself hated the idea and argued Steamboat to go over. Then it got to the point after we had wrestled so many times, and this became a personal issue between the two of us to where we started pushing each other. And it was a push-push, you know. Um, we have a term that we use in the business called being blown up, which means your your tank is empty, you run out of gas, mm-hmm. and it, we wrestled each other so much that it became a one on one thing on who could blow the other guy up, who could make the other guy run out of gas, and um, that's why we went to so many sixty minute, one hour uh, draws. Steamboat recollects in Flair's book that. The two would only hit the ring with with the finishes. The other 54 minutes of wrestling was called in the ring. Something unheard of in today's pro wrestling era. Amazing. Flair won the first fall with the same move that beat him at the Chi-Town Rumble and inside cradle. Steamboat won the second fall via submission with a double-arm chicken wing. Steamboat would win the third and deciding fall with the same move used as a pin. Steamboat won two falls to one in a match that went over 55 minutes. That one you can also see on the Ultimate Ric Flair DVD. I definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it, wrestling fans. Tremendous match. Ironically, Steamboat's NWA title reign lasted just about as long as his WWF Intercontinental title reign two years earlier. Flair and Steamboat would finish the trilogy on May 7th, 1989. At WrestleWar, the NWA assigned former champions Luthez, Terry Funk, and Pat O'Connor as judges. At 31:37 of one of the greatest matches of all time, Flair caught Steamboat with an inside cradle. Flair won back the NWA world title for a seventh time and proved once again he is still the man. The match won. Two Pro Wrestling Illustrated 1989 Match of the Year Awards. Saying one match was better than the other would do injustice to this entire series. Every match was like a classic musical piece. The emotions went up. They went down. Steamboat would make a move. Flair would counter. And Steamboat would wait and make another move. The matches were incredibly fast-paced for the time period, yet nothing like the high-flying circus shows you see today. Their matches were simply a thing of beauty and continue to hold up to the test of time. My personal favorite match, I'd say, would be the Wrestle War encounter, yet Rick Steamboat tends to differ. Ricky Steamboat said in an interview a few times 
previously that he said we never had that kind of discussion between Flair and I. I knew his work ethic. He knew mine. That's all it was. People asked me my favorite match, like I was saying earlier. One of them was in New Orleans with the two out of three falls. And then the match I had with Savage. That was what Steamboat said. Flair said he never had a bad match with Steamboat. And they nearly wrestled each other 2,000 times. This feud is remembered as one of wrestling's classics. Yet, it would shock most to find out that the peak of this feud only lasted five months. Unlike great feuds of the past that went on for over a year, these two only had three big matches and wouldn't hook up again for almost five years. Unfortunately, the feud was over as quickly as it began. Immediately following their Wrestle War encounter, Terry Funk attacked Ric Flair, putting him out of wrestling for months. If you remember the pile drive on the, on the table, the initial stages of hardcore into the NWA. The angle turned Flair babyface, thus Flair into a feud with Funk and left Steamboat on the outside looking in. Steamboat's desires for another series of matches quickly disappeared. Steamboat lost a match to Lex Luger at the Great American Bash in July and left shortly after. The legacy of Nature Boy Ric Flair and the Dragon, Ricky Steamboat, continues to live on to this day. It was not uncommon to see Triple H and Shawn Michaels incorporate Flair and Steamboat spots in their matches a few years uh, previously. It is rare for a professional wrestler not to acknowledge Flair and Steamboat's rivalry as a big influence on their careers. You can ask anyone. The WWE continues to use their their series of matches on current and forthcoming DVDs. Amazingly, fans are still clamoring for one more match from two guys well into their 50s and past their primes. We saw Steamboat. He can still go. We saw at WrestleMania against Jericho. Flair still pushing it to this day. People have doubted these two guys for the last 30 years. They proved critics wrong. They lived up to the hype. They proved that simple storylines do matter and could draw money. The Nature Boy Ric Flair and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is one of the all-time greatest rivalries. Simply put, Ricky Steamboat was a fan's wrestler. He embodied what a true good guy should be. Always willing to sign autographs. Never too busy to shake someone's hand. And he looked like a Greek god when he walked off a beach in Hawaii. And I have to say this, it gets heat, but the girls loved Steamboat. Nothing like him ever, guys. I'll put him up against the Von Erichs any night. <laughs> and that's saying a lot. <sighs> but more than that, he was a great, great performer in the ring. Always ready to go out and give the fans 100% each and every night. It was guys like Ricky Steamboat who made me a legend every time I stepped in the ring with them. Rick and I probably wrestled each other, it's unbelievable guys, 2,000 times. 2,000 times. And I can tell you, I never had one bad match with Ricky Steamboat. As good as our series of matches were in 1989, I really think our matches back in the 70s were even better. Unfortunately, 
There weren't any cameras around for those early matches, so the memories, for the most part, are confined to the people who happened to be in the arenas. But working with Ricky Steamboat was as good as got. I was so fortunate that Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat were able to provide a body of work that I truly believe in my heart will stand the test of time. And those were the days of working 380 matches a year, sometimes an hour every night. Steamboat, you're an unbelievable performer. We've come a long way over 35 years. We've spent more time in the ring together than anyone else on the planet. We've shared blood, sweat, and tears in some great classics. We've loved every minute of it. We both settled down in Charlotte many years ago where we raised families, opened gyms together. We now have sons that started competing with each other 15 years ago. They're both hopefully going to follow in our footsteps and to begin another chapter in the Flair Steamboat rivalry. <laughs> Practice. You know, now there's a fragrance that puts it all on the line. Arrogance. Whether it's a forehand, a backhand, every shot's a winner because women navrata love it. Arrogance for men will make you the number one seed. One shot and you'll be in the royal box. I don't know that. Hey, how can I get muscles like you guys? Wonderful. You can start by getting in shape with the Hawkamania workout set. Great! It's got everything you need. Head and wristband. A jump rope for warming up. A hand gripper for power. Dumbbells for strength. An exercise poster. And even Hawk's own workout tape. The Hawkamania workout set. You from LJN. Are you in shape yet? Oh yeah! Check out these hot new WWF figures. Unleash the lightning power of the tornado. Power of the barber and the firepower Sergeant Slaughter. Perfectly ridiculous. With Mr. Perfect, you can achieve perfection. Oh, because these WWF figures have the power of Hulkamania. Quickness, Coco Beware, pounding force of the hammer. New WWF figures. <laughs> Perfect. New WWF figures got the power. Power, WWF. Figures sold separately. Perfect. Perfect. Gentlemen, we got a taste of it a little earlier on here on Saturday night's main event. When the madness met the mania. I am talking about Macho Madness and Hulkamania, two mega powers meeting here tonight. Hulk Hogan, what is happening? Well, you know me, Gene, we really don't know what we're dealing with here, man. And I'm just kind of a little worried about locking up here. Because we just might blow the whole planet up, you know. Everybody knows that Hulkamania is the strongest force in this universe. But when I hit that ring and I saw what the madness was all about, I realized there was a whole other universe out there, a whole other frontier, and the power of the madness and the mania just blew my 24 inch guns out. There. You mean to tell me there is another solar system, Macho oh, Man? Unbelievable. I'm still in a state of shock right now. In fact, I don't think the movie coming down for a long period of time. Yeah, reckless abandon is what it used to be. Yeah, but Elizabeth opened up my eyes and the big man right here, the big man, yeah, he endorsed Macho Madness and gave me direction. Yeah, reckless abandon used to be the direction now with the mega, yeah, the mega, yeah, the mega power. Yeah, 
thing of power yet. I feel the power now. I You're feel the power right there. Mm. You're yeah. hit over the head, Macho Man. Oh, no, man. I'm all right. It's never been better yet. Don't you worry about the hit over the head, man. I'm just worried about where we're going from here. Is it this stratosphere, man? Is it the ionosphere with the madness and the mania as one guiding force? We could go ahead and take the whole I WWE cannot WWE. believe this. No, Every once in a while, a great pro wrestling rivalry spills from the world of make-believe into the world of real life. Considering the fact that Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan are two of the smartest businessmen in pro wrestling, it is surprising as to how much heat the two have had outside of the ring. Personal issues aside, Hogan versus Savage is one of the greatest rivalries of all time. There are many factors to consider when labeling a wrestling rivalry as one of the greatest. We discussed longevity, money, fan interest, storylines, and excitements. You can consider key factors in rivalries, like we said on the top of the show. Hogan, Savage had it all. On paper, this didn't look like it would be anything other than a routine challenge for Hogan. Savage came into the WWF without ever wrestling on the main stage. Savage didn't have a monster uh, built physique or monster muscles that most of Hogan's rivals had at the time. Savage, by all standards, looked to be a perfect fit for the WWF's intercontinental title division. There was something different about Savage than the rest of the other wrestlers relegated to the intercontinental division. While Savage was an outstanding wrestler, he had the it factor that you hear and discuss on Tough Enough. He had the it factor that most of the upper mid-carters had missed. Savage was an entertainer from the second he appeared on WWF television. Timing and chemistry would play a big part in this classic feud. Savage and Hogan would wrestle on house shows right in the midst of his icy reign. There was something different about these matches. Unlike most Hogan matches, the fans began cheering Savage. The two had immediate chemistry, and it was evident from the start that these two would would see bigger things in the near future. Timing was Randy Savage's best friend. Hogan started to develop an interest in doing movies. At the peak of his fame, Hogan had agreed to star in No Holds Barred. Remember that flick? Hogan needed time off, and the WWE needed someone to carry the company. Vince McMahon gave Savage his vote of confidence, turned a babyface, and gave him the all-important championship run. The run, of course, was temporary until Hogan returned. The seeds were planted a year out from Hogan and Savage's biggest match. Savage won the World Wrestling Federation title at WrestleMania 4. In Atlantic City, I was there. Hogan came into the ring and put Elizabeth on his shoulders. Savage gave Hogan a subtle glare, just that little glare which planted the seed of doubt into Savage's babyface intentions. That little glare set up a feud, a year in the making. A brilliant idea that most fans didn't even catch until the tape was replayed a year later. I know I didn't catch it. 
Hogan finally returned to active wrestling in the summer of 1988. Hogan and Savage teamed up as the Mega Powers to take on Andre the Giant and Ted DiBiase at SummerSlam. The two would continue to team on big shows, including Survivor Series. The tension began to mount when Hogan took Savage's manager, Elizabeth, as his own manager around this time. Savage's legendary jealousy behind the scenes would be the catalyst for one of the greatest feuds of all time. All right, the heat is on here at SummerSlam 88. This awesome twosome, the Mega Powers, later on tonight, here to meet the Mega Bucks, comprised of Andre the Giant and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Hulk Hogan, I know you're ready. Well, you know me, Gene. They've already made a believer out of me, man. A couple hours before the match, you can already feel Madison Square Garden rumbling, brother. I know what Hulkamania feels like. I know what the Macho Madness feels like. But together as one, as the mega powers, we definitely are the strongest force in the universe. And the dude here is going in with a clear conscience. I've never built so much electricity. Oh, yeah, I'm talking the mania and the madness together. It's the mega powers, yeah. And besides that, means in Oakland, oh, yeah, we have a secret weapon. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, gentlemen. Secret yeah. weapon. This is, this is the first lady of wrestling, Elizabeth. That's the secret weapon. You better believe it, Mean Gene. You don't think we go into this thing without the 24-inch pythons loaded, brother. We've got Elizabeth, our secret weapon, and the last thing those megabucks are going to see is the kiss of death, Mean Gene. Oh, my ladies and gentlemen, stand what by for this gonna one. What are they going to do when the mega powers come running through? No way to stop us. Oh, no way. Savage's off-screen jealousy was written into the storyline as well. Savage finally had enough and attacked Hogan following a tag team match on Saturday night's main event. This attack would finally make the match that had been built up for almost one year between the mega powers. I like the momentum, yeah. Hogan, you killed the momentum for the Mega Powers, you and you alone, yeah! You made an idiot of the Mega Powers because the lust in your eyes that you have for Elizabeth, yeah, all over the world! You gotta be blind not to see it, yeah! You're gonna have to be blind not to see Macho Madness, yeah, the momentum that I have will not be stopped by you especially, because you ain't got the character, you ain't got the guts! Says he wants a World Wrestling Federation Championship match with the Macho Man Randy Savage, huh? You ask the question. You got the guts up, yeah, but your back's against the wall. But I'm thinking, thinking that you, yeah. I'm thinking that, uh, I'm thinking you know, just, Macho, yeah. I seen the lust in his eyes when he'd look at Elizabeth. I'd see the envy deep down in his gut every time you strapped on that World Wrestling Federation championship belt macho man but he's posed the question he wants to know will you put the title on the line against hulk hogan macho my answer my answer hulk hogan is that i am going to think about it here think about it here (laughs) sounds good to me hogan you think about it because macho gave you no answer WrestleMania V was entitled The Mega Powers Explode. A year of tension would finally explode into one of the most memorable WrestleMania matches of all time. Elizabeth would make or would take a neutral corner 
as her two colleagues would battle for the gold. Elizabeth would later be ordered to return to the backstage area after she blocked an offensive move from, from Hogan. 365 days of tension would end in a little over 17 minutes on the biggest stage of the year. The granddaddy of them all. Thank God this Sunday afternoon, it's finally here. Because Hulkamaniacs, I don't think I could take another week like this last one, man. Anytime I was approached with the subject of the Macho Man or anything that's gone down in the past, as I tried to explain, as I tried to talk, my stomach started to twist. And as the words started to come up my body, I was strangling myself, man. I was so torn apart by this thing, I couldn't even talk. The talking's over with. But thank God for all my little holsters. Because the way they've stuck behind me these last few weeks, it's like euphoria, man. It's like a feeling, a power surge the holsters never felt before, man. It starts low at the tip of my toes, at the very foundation of the maniacs. And as it surges up, as it creeps up my body, man, and as it pumps the life, the blood veins through my arms, all the way up to the delts, all the way up to my neck, through my brain, I feel that Hulkamania will be reborn in WrestleMania 5. I feel that Hulkamania is the strongest force in the universe. And as me and the Macho Man explode off the launching pad in the Trump Plaza, there's only going to be one that's going to survive, and that's going to be the Holster brother. But I can't help but wonder, Macho Man, where you're coming from. What type of support you've had these last few weeks? What type of thoughts have ran through your mind as you've cast aside Elizabeth and everybody else that was dedicated to you? Let me tell you something, Macho Man. When we come down to WrestleMania 5, it's going to be the truth, brother, that makes Hulkamania survive. Hulk Hogan, yeah. You say you don't know where the macho man is coming from? Yeah, you're right. You don't know anything about the macho man, Randy Savage, and where I'm coming from. Because it's mind-boggling to you, yeah! One man could make it to the top of the World Wrestling Federation mountain, yeah! All by myself. No pukesters helping me to the left, and no pukesters helping me to the right. Didn't need him then, don't need him now. And another person I don't need is Elizabeth either, yeah. Because I'm the champion by myself, all by myself. You don't know where I'm coming from, Hulk Hogan, this Sunday afternoon. But I know where you're coming from, yeah. I know everything about Hulk Hogan, yeah. I know what makes you tick, yeah. And you've got the audacity, yeah, to see that in WrestleMania 5, that Hulkamania is going to survive. <sighs> you don't know me, Hulk Hogan. You don't know where I'm coming from. After I'll beat you with that big elbow and pin you one, two, three, guaranteed victory. <sighs> I'm going to tell you... And all the pukesters out there, one last time before the Sunday afternoon. Hokamania is dead! Savage looked on his way to victory as he leaped 
off the top rope and nailed Hogan with his patented flying elbow drop. Hogan miraculously kicked out to the roar of the crowd. After a big boot and leg drop, Hogan pinned Savage at 17 minutes 54 seconds to win his second WWF world title. I've never seen so much momentum for the red and yellow. When the macho man plugged in, baby, we're sky high now. The limousines are ready. The rooms have been booked. I'm gassing up the Learjet, baby. Las Vegas, get ready, baby. Well, you know, with so much momentum going, Jimmy Hart, the 25th at the Clash, make sure the tanks are topped off in the limos, brother. Make sure the Harleys got the rubber on the ground, brother, because when we get done with all the dirty work, brother... I'm going to make sure that we're heading in the right direction and we may feel like riding in the air conditioned, brother, or we may feel like putting in the wind, you know. The business will be taken care of. But you know something, Macho Man? What is it? The monster maniacs are over the edge. I can feel the momentum, and I've been around the red and yellow longer than anybody. I've never felt such power before out of the red and yellow, but your time, brother. If you're coming down, pick your spot, choose it well, single me out. Don't jump in our face when we're together, brother. There are no rules anymore as far as I'm concerned. Heed the warning. And that spills right over to the no-good butcher and Kevin Sullivan. Because there's no WCW heavyweight title on the line, macho man. Not even. The only thing that's on the line is your brand new reputation here in the WCW. By hook or by crook, I'm going to watch your back. You just watch mine, brother. All right. Enthusiasm makes the difference. Hard to contain myself right now. Gotta wait to January the 25th, but I'm gonna tell you something. It's not Vader time. Talk about monster maniac time. The momentum is too intense. We're gonna roll over Kevin Sullivan, the butcher, and Vader too if we have to. Yeah, we are too strong, and we are too powerful. We are the monster maniacs, and we're coming to the Clash of the Champions, yeah, on January the 25th, and there is nobody, <laughs> nobody that can stop Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man. You know, brother, I was rocked on my heels, caught with my guard down, because when I had put Butcher in his place, I kind of was laid back in my mind, brother, but now the mind is focused with the body. I realize he wasn't going to cave in. He never wanted to be my brother again. So we're going to take care of all the family business, brother. This man's family, he's the part of the red and yellow that was always missing. Ah. And when we get in the ring with Kevin Sullivan, when we get in the ring with a butcher, Jimmy Hart, stay out of our face, man. Turn your back if you have to. It's not going to be a pretty sight in Macho Man. Dig down as far as you can, because when it's all said and done, brother, the only thing I gotta say is what you're gonna do. Ooh, yeah! Ooh, yeah! As I said earlier, longevity was a key to this classic feud. WrestleMania Five would not be their last encounter. Savage would now become the victim of a double cross at the hands of his old nemesis. Hogan turned on Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger in WCW to join the NWO. Once these two legends would be a part of one of the biggest money-making angles in professional wrestling history. The two would continue their feud with several matches over the next couple years in WCW. Due to inconsistent booking, the two actually reunited 
in one of the many NWO stables and forms. Their final go-around, you can say, ended when Hogan regained the WCW title at Savage's expense in 1998. In in over 10 years of matches, Savage would never pin Hogan. Behind the scenes, this feud has become a legendary in the wrestling business. It's hard at times to decipher what is real or what is a work when it comes to these two. Uh, It was a situation where, you know, WWF is just like the the place to be, was the place to be, still is the place to be. And I think that everybody should uh, get that buzz feeling, you know, when they do win it. You know, even though uh, we are the, you know, the kings of entertainment, you know, uh, it still it still does mean something. You know what I mean? And then, just winning the belt is not enough. It's how you carry the belt, because you're representing not only the organization but all the fans, and including yourself. You know, so uh, basically, winning the belt that's really cool. But uh, taking the pressure, you know what I mean? Because there is a little bit of pressure involved, yeah. and wearing it well, and being able to, uh, it's almost like finishing your term as president of the United States and then handing it over. You know, you just yeah. don't hand over a torch that's not lit and too big yeah. too big to hold, yeah, you know. Yeah. Do you think uh, that, you know, the perception was that Hogan was really putting himself up next to you, tagged as a mega powers a lot. Do you think that took away from it a bit? Because the WWE sort of kept Hogan up there on a, the same kind of pedestal. Yeah. Do you think that took away from your world title reign at all? Oh, you, Hogan... We'll try to suck blood from anybody to get himself over. Oh yeah, to get himself over. You know, that's that's something that everybody just understood and still understands throughout that time. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But uh, that's all right. We just kind of all knew it. You know what I mean? Anytime anybody did something good, we kind of looked over and there his face was. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it didn't bother me. It was just cool. What's your relationship with Hulk Hogan right now? No relationship. Mm-hmm. No, I like girls. He's got something else on his mind. The late Macho Man Randy Savage and the late former wife Elizabeth left Randy at the time and stayed with Hogan and the Hogan family for a while this would cause an enormous amount of tension between the two colleagues as much as Savage trashed Hogan over the years he wasn't a stupid man Savage and Hogan had both made several attempts through through the decade to make money together the closest the two came was when Savage wrestled briefly for TNA. TNA was negotiating with Hogan at the time, and Savage quit the company, claiming that he wouldn't share a locker room with Hogan. To this day, no one will ever know if this was all part of an angle or if this was a result of TNA not being big enough for the two of them. Brother, it's, I mean, there's three sides to every story. My side, Randy's, I pretty much treat everybody the same. You know, Randy was my boy, man. We were friends, and and I think the whole thing went crazy when Liz was shot her ankle because we were hanging out all the time. I was trying to teach Randy how to ride a Harley. He was living down on the beach, and him and Liz got a boat, and we were he was hanging out with my wife. And the next thing I know, I was getting ready to go to Miami to shoot a movie called Mr. Danny. And Macho's, Macho's, Macho's boat was tied up outside of my house, and, and Liz were leaving. I said, hey, brother, I know you're heading on the road. And I said, Liz, one of the kids were all going down to uh, Miami to shoot this movie. And, you know, we got a couple of, you know, different rooms all put together for the kids. And I thought maybe Liz could come down and help Linda. So as I said goodbye to Mods, and they were leaving on the boat, I said, Liz, you know, I'll be working day and night. And when will be by yourself if you want to come down. Well, Liz came down to Miami. And the next thing I know, no disrespect intended, brother, but... 
The big rip was all the room service guys said, we don't know what room to take Liz's room service to. She changed rooms so much. Macho came down. Yeah, Liz, Liz, Hogan. I was in the shower because I was going to work at night, working like from 6 at night to 6 in the morning, filming Mr. Danny. And, I, and he was standing in the room on top of, standing over Linda, my ex-wife, yeah, where's Liz? I came out of the shower and I said, brother, you know, I just said, she's around back and I can show you the room she's in. And 20 minutes before then, she was sitting out at the pool with her boyfriend, right? And they got up and I was hot about it, man, because I just, I didn't know what to do. And I saw him leave the pool to go back to her room. I swear to you, as soon as I got my room, Mott showed up. So I took him, got the manager of the hotel, ran him around the back of the hotel and I didn't know if the boyfriend was in there or he split. All I know is when the manager opened the, the, the door, Macho pushed open, and he goes, What's up, Liz? And the door closed. And I ran, brother. I ran back to my hotel. <laughs> and all I know, about 20 minutes later, there must have been 40 police cars there. And ever since then, bro, he said, I was the one that started it. I was the one that got enforced. You blame it all on me, bro. I was just trying to be cool. I didn't know she was going to run wild on him. I was just inviting her down to hang out with women and help the kids. But after that, bro, he snapped. You know, there was no, no fixing. And actually, I saw him a couple months ago, bro. I was going for another back surgery, and they say I had a bad EKG, so they sent me to a heart doctor. And I'm sitting there with my girl Jennifer, and sitting way down on one of those little, you know, they put you in a room with a table with a, with a paper on it that you sit on when you're a patient. But I was sitting in Charleston, the door kicked open, and I looked up, and there was Macho. Oh, and I haven't seen him for like 12 years. He was all swollen up, standing over me. He looked great. Looked like, like he mysteriously put on some weight or something, if you know what I'm saying. And he was, he was so nice. Hey, Hogan, what's happening? I'm freaked out. He said, yeah, I haven't seen him. And my girl Jennifer doesn't have a clue who he is. Goes, we're having a barbecue. You want to come over again? <laughs> just got married again. He married his high school sweetheart. But, you know, I don't know what happened with that, bro. He just flipped. And he just went off after that. And don't, don't take it like we're dissing Randy either. We're all, we all spent a lot of time with Randy. He's a no, great, he's a good guy. We love him. And we respected his father, too, Angelo. We, we know him well. You know what I mean? No matter what you think of Hogan or Savage, together they combined for one of the greatest rivalries of all time. The late Macho Man Randy Savage truly made this feud epic. Every great hero needs a great villain and the late Savage may have been the greatest of Hogan's villains. Is the is this combination of fiction, fact, and drama that allows me to honor Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage as one of the greatest professional wrestling rivalries of all time. On that note, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for being a part of Epic Encounters Volume 1. I'm your host, ring announcer Sean Beckerman. Thank you for joining us here on the SNS Radio Network. Plenty more action, plenty more shows to come on the network this upcoming week. Big show on Wrestling News Live this Monday. The, the brother of the late macho man Randy Savage, Leaping Lanny Poffo, the genius will be on, as well as the main event, the showstopper, the icon, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, in the main event slot on Wrestling News Live this Monday. So tune in, SNS fans. It will be epic in its own right. So I think this was a great initial show. We'll do these epic encounters throughout the BTB series. 
JJ, all cap, sexy, and myself are working on getting the live cast set up so we can do a live show so we can have the callers call in and give their feedback and give their opinions on these legendary feuds. And I want to hear from you fans. What was your, what are you, some of your legendary feuds that you would like us to, to talk about? BTB fans, this is ring announcer Sean Beckerman signing off. We'll see you next week as we go beyond the bell. <laughs>